Sometimes, yes, please, yeah, speak up. great when God moves isn't it it's one of our privileges of being in a fellowship where God touches people through so many different ways and it's a privilege to be here we're so grateful that God brought us to this church about 11 years ago we just feel that it's a place where God is moving and we're so privileged to be here um, I'm glad I'm not the minister because I can say things like that but it's great um, Emma was staying with a grandma she was four years old and her grandma took her to quite a formal church. And while the service was progressing, she was fidgeting, she was a bit uh, disturbed, totally bored. And after a while, they, they decided, they took the, the, the prayer time came. And as the prayer time came, they knelt down on the, uh, on the sort of cushions that are provided in some churches for them to kneel. And as she was uh, kneeling down next to grandma, in a loud stage whisper, she said, Grandma! Who are we hiding from? <laughs> this morning I want to look at something which has been on my heart. I've been thinking about this quite a while. What happens when people pray? Those of you who are expecting Revelation 10 and 11, I'm sorry you'll be disappointed. <laughs> um, and as Henry said, there's some great worship songs ready in, in uh, Revelation 10 and 11, but it was just beyond me. So I thought the eschatological experts, do you like that? Isn't that good? <laughs> They will be ministering next week or the week after, I'm not quite sure who, but they'll be picking it up, whereas I, I thought we would look at something different. What happens? What do we expect? What happens when people pray? Sometimes not a great deal. Some people expect nothing. They pray almost as a, a form or a ceremony. Some people expect nothing. Some pray in a sort of pious hope that something may possibly happen, but they're not quite sure about it. Some of us, I guess a lot of us, I've been frustrated in the past when things we've prayed for haven't quite resulted in what we thought we would like to see. And I guess if I was to ask for a show of hands, most people would say at some stage they've been frustrated in praying for things and then not seeing the outcome. Some expect miracles, some expect the impossible. I had an email last, last week from a friend of ours. I was thinking and praying about what we should talk about this morning. I had an email last week from a friend of ours in Manchester. And it, was, it had a few examples of children's prayers. Excuse me. Children's prayers. This was one from Jane. I love this. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you've got already? <laughs> A nice little one from Mickey here. Mickey, I don't quite know how old Mickey was, but these, the writing was quite interesting. Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. 
And the last one, I really like this one. Dear God, from Joyce. Again, I'm not quite sure how old Joyce is, but dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) You know, a lot of prayer's been going on this week. Um, This last two weeks, following the social unrest, there's been a huge amount of prayer and churches have got involved. I think it was Ali was praying, but oh, maybe it was um, Anna, but somebody was just praying this morning about how churches have been involved in response to the social unrest which has hit such a part of our nation at this time. And we've started to see some real breakthroughs. I think it's a tribute to what God is doing at the present time. There's been some attitudes changing, some behavioural changes, some real sort of demonstrations of people saying, we will not have this in our country. John was praying that. We need to pray against the divisive spirits that are seeking to wreck our nation. I think Ali again prayed earlier. We've seen it. We had a nation where we were moving in God and in very much so seeing God at work. We need to make sure that we pray that the disruptive influences, wherever they come from, and we may have different views on where they come from, but wherever they come from, we seek to bind them in Jesus' name and take authority over our area and over our nation again. It's it's interesting. I only heard this week that David Cameron apparently calls his Department of Work and Pensions his prayer and worship team. Ian Duncan Smith is in there, and David Willits is in there as well. Um, known Christians who are seeking to sort of see God at work in government and right at the heart of government. But what I thought I'd like to do this morning was when we're looking at this whole thing about what happens when people pray, I'd like to look at two or three instances, we'll see how time goes, but two or three instances of what happens when people have prayed in Scripture. Let me read just a few verses from Acts chapter 2. And you'll know this, you could almost recite this. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, I love this, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then just moving on to the verse that uh, Anna quoted while she was praying earlier on. In the last days, God said, speaking in the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. An amazing demonstration of the power of God at work as they prayed together. There's something about, there's a few key words, you'll, you'll hear them as we're going through, and I want to try and bring them out later on. There's a few key words about what happened as people prayed, and the, the, one of them here is they were praying together. They were praying together as a group, probably quite fearfully, not quite knowing what was happening, and then you've got this phenomenal demonstration of the Spirit of God just blowing across their group, across them as they were meeting this morning. And then you've got this transformational, transformational impact on Peter. Some of us just need this. this as he stands up, the, man, the very man who denied the Lord stands up and he says, men of Israel, you can see the sort of triumphant demonstration and proclamation as Peter stands up amongst the, the, um, the group that gathered to say, what's going on around here? What's happening? Men of Israel, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs which God did amongst him. This man was handed to over you and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. This is the man who denied the Lord, ran away, was just so totally fearful. And here he is proclaiming something happened. A demonstration of the Spirit of God just hit him in such a way that he was, he was transformed in his experience and in his witness for Christ. Do you know what happened there? 3,000 people. 3,000 people came to the Lord, came to the church in one day. And actually, some of the older versions say 3,000 men. That's probably five, six, 7,000. So it's a lot of people suddenly came because one man stood up and boldly proclaimed what God had put on his life, on his heart, to proclaim. There's an Old Testament parallel I just want to refer to you. Solomon built the temple. Fabulous. It was an absolutely opulent building. The temple of God that Solomon built, it took him seven years to build it, he was so careful in the manufacture, it said that everything, that all the stones, the lumps of stones, were dressed off-site. Everyone was brought in beautifully precise. Not a single sound of a hammer or a saw was heard on that construction site for seven years. Sounds like some of ours, actually, but um, that's... <laughs> But don't take that to heart, but not a single sound. And the block, they fitted them together. This was a phenomenally wealthy, completely lavish demonstration, this temple. It was phenomenal. I worked out the amount of gold in it. It was billions. We, the amount of gold that David provided Solomon to build the temple with could almost put Greece's national debt on an even keel again. It was billions. It's amazing, actually. You read the value of what they collected for the temple of God. And this splendid temple of God was finished. It was completed. Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles 7. Read it when you get home. 2 Chronicles 7. Solomon prayed on and on and on and on. It was a long, 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 long prayer. And then they started to sacrifice. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. This is the bit that gets me excited. The priests could not enter the temple of God because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the, the temple, they, they knelt on the pavement, worshipped, and gave thanks to the Lord, singing what we've sang already this morning. He is good, his praise, his love endures forever. This presence of God just filled the place. You know, as he began to sacrifice, as he finished his prayer, this overwhelming presence of God, and it was like, said it was like a cloud just filling the temple and round about, and people standing outside were, were impacted by the presence of God. My father was, became a Christian in the early 1900s and was part of a move of God that was sweeping the nation, at that, well, not only the nation, sweeping the world at that time. I became a Christian as a Baptist, um, received a min an, an infilling of the Holy Spirit when he was about 17, 18. And at the time, the Pentecostal movement was just starting to come into being. And they saw some quite remarkable things of God. I remember him telling me that, uh, he's dead now, um, he, he, I remember him telling me that in central London, Bloomsbury Central Hall, which was a Methodist hall they used to use, and all the people from the different sort of uh, areas were interested in seeing what God was doing in the spirit 
came together in Bloomsbury Central Hall, and he, and he, he was one of the, the, the ministers and people involved with it. And he said, you could sit on the platform and you would see the wind of God blowing. He said, as, as people worshipped, as people praised, you just saw a sense of the presence of God just blowing right across the congregation. People were touched, people were healed. It was just a sovereign work of God that happened at that time, and that has happened since then. But it was just the, the, the move of God that was there at that time, and you just saw people just bending, almost like he said, it was like a field of corn, and as a field of corn blows in the wind, so it was, you just saw the presence of God sweeping across the congregation. You know, we, we are so grateful. We've seen some tremendous times of God here in this fellowship. We've seen some tremendous moves of God. We started, you remember, before I came along actually, well before I came along, a few old ladies prayed that God would move and then it began to generate, it began to pray, people became Christians, the church began to grow. Many of you know the history. And now there's probably about 500 of us across the different congregations, the four congregations meeting together as God has moved. This has been a work of God that we are so grateful for. And yet sometimes we look at other things and we say, God, give us more than we have already. Isn't that the echo of our heart? We say, God, give us more. Some of you saw the the Lewis revival. Do you remember that that DVD that we saw about a few weeks ago about the Lewis revival, about they saw works of God, sovereign works of God, just taking place across the the Lewis Isle, the the Hebrides and the the Isle of Lewis at that time. The Welsh revival, some of you read the Welsh revival um, story, Evan Roberts in 1904. It's a fascinating book. You ought to read it if you've not read it. What happened about the Welsh revival in 1904 where God just broke through miners, mining communities who had no sense of God. God broke through in sovereign power and touched lives, brought people into an experience of God, uh, challenged their living. For, For a while, I was reading actually, for a while it said they never locked their houses. They never bothered about where their money was it was just completely open as God just flooded that Ronda Valley uh, with his presence over that time and it almost seems as though every 20 to 30 years there's a move of God in some way you think the Pentecostal movement around about the 20s, 20s, 30s, 40s um, Lewis revival in the 50s charismatic renewal in the 70s which was much more in the church than out of the church Toronto in the 90s, we've seen some remarkable moves of God on a worldwide basis. And our heart is, why not in the Cotswolds in the 2010s onwards? That's what we're praying for. We're seeking God that he will move over this entire area with a ministry of the Spirit of God that will just touch people's lives in a new way. We're grateful for what we've seen but we just want to see so much more of God. There's so much more. You read it, you read it in Scripture. We say, God, do what you've done before, but do it here, please. Do it so we will be a part of what you're doing. I looked at those events and I thought, yes, God, just move. Move in your sovereign way in those people's lives as those events take place. Okay, that's the first example I'd like to look at. The second one is also in Acts. They're all in Acts, actually. I love Acts. 
Um, Acts chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles with you. Acts chapter 12, again, just the first five verses. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw this please the Jews, he, put, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Uh, proceeded to please, oh, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When arrest, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. After the... So Paul, Peter was kept in prison. But this is the bit. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What a key. You know, I, I thought when we were, we were talking about Tony earlier on, you know, this is a need of God a man in absolute agony at the present time. So many other needs there are, but we think, yes, we as a church earnestly prayed to God for him. And this was, uh, they saw this release of God as um, he was on the the execution block, basically. And unless the church would have prayed, Peter would almost certainly have been executed. In fact, because he escaped, the guards were executed who were supposed to look after him. And you read the story there, we won't read it now, but you read the story there about an angel came and said to Peter, get up, it's time to go. Locked in prison, guarded, shackled, fettered. Get up, Peter, it's time to go. And he he walked out and get to verse 11. Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. He, there was a release. You know, when we pray, we seek the anointing of God. Secondly, I would like to say, when we're praying, we're praying to see a release of situations which otherwise would not be capable of being released. Um, not many of us are involved with prison situations, as Peter was, who were in prison. Most of it's not a release from prison. Oh, I remember Dot once standing for a guy who'd torched a building in um, Stratford. The guy became a Christian and uh, the, the, before he torched the building, I may add. But he torched the building, set fire to it, and he was in court. Dodd stood, stood for him. There's not very often he was threatened with a custodial sentence, but actually got off. And he, he, he lived in the grace of God. It was amazing, actually, that he got off his custodial sentence. But for most of us, it's a release of a very different kind. I mean, for some of us, we're in a partnership where one has yet to find a living relationship in Jesus. For some, there's family disruption. For some, there's depression. For some, there's sickness that's dragging us down. For others, there's a marriage that's under stress or on the point of failure. For yet others, there's a a release from unemployment in a recessionary environment where we just need God to break in. You know, we're going to pray for some of these situations later on, but so often we need the grace of God to just impact where we are, to break in in power, to break in in authority, and to break in in the ways that we couldn't see otherwise. The early 80s, we had a couple staying with us who were um, involved with a ministry to Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe was then behind the Iron Curtain, probably late 70s actually, late 70s, early 80s. Eastern Europe was then behind the Iron Curtain. And their their ministry was to use top-grade American musicians. And they spent, we used to acclimatise them in the UK into Europe. 
and they came into UK for a few weeks and then they would go into Eastern Europe, Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, what was then Czechoslovakia, uh, Romania, Bulgaria, going into the heart of communist Europe, taking the, taking the gospel through music and sharing their testimony. Highly dangerous, but at the same time, highly effective. And their whole ministry was, was doing that. Um, and God preserved them in remarkable ways. But we had a couple staying with us. Joel was one of the leaders, and Ruth, his wife, um, was the, the official photographer, actually, for the team. And she was, she was expecting a second child. And so we said, not now, I said, well, stay with us while she's having the child, while Joel's uh, travelling into the Soviet Union because she couldn't go in the Soviet Union in case the baby arrived. And so they were staying with us, and um, Doc took Ruth to the antenatal clinic at um, Stepping Hill, and uh, went on several visits, as you, you do apparently, but went on the, the antenatal visits. And uh, one of the visits, one of the uh, sisters, nursing sisters, said to, to Ruth, how are you going to pay for this? And both Dot and Ruth just reacted in total horror. Not and I'd never had a second thought about we having to pay for it, but she was an American citizen. And therefore had to pay, rightly so actually, for medical treatment. So we as a church prayed. We didn't have the money at the time. Nobody else had money. So we, as a church, we just really prayed that God would intervene in this situation, not knowing quite how it might happen. The very last... Pre-antenatal, uh, prenatal visit, prenatal. The very, the very last visit before uh, the baby was born. Dot and Ruth were together in the um, examination room, and one of the consultants came in, who never apparently our, our sister-in-law's a, a, a nursing midwife at Stepping Hill, and she said this consultant never comes in on prenatal checks, but he happened to be in there, popped into Ruth's cubicle where Dot was with her, and said. What are you doing here? What's your Ameri you notice you have an American accent. What are you doing here? And she explained about their ministry, about they were taking the gospel into Eastern Europe, the way in which they were seeking to impact the youth of the Iron Curtain countries with the gospel of Jesus. And he said absolutely nothing. But as he walked out, he said to the, um, the sister who was, who was there, he said, put all this lady's costs to my account. Now, I guess if we were to share this morning and open the, open the congregation up this morning, there'd be a number of people who would say, God has met us at the point of need in finance. And in a recessionary time like this, sometimes that is so relevant. We just need God to break through in terms of finance as well. But I thought that might encourage you. We, we didn't have any money at the time, but God just enabled a situation that was looking so bleak at the time to be uh, resolved. We're going to pray together a little, bit, a little uh, later about some of the circumstances of life that may be affecting us as a church, may be affecting you as individuals. And sometimes we only start to see release on a gradual basis. Francis McNutt was a, a, Dominic, a Dominican friar uh, who was um, very instrumental in the Catholic Church in America. Very well-known uh, he healing ministry and teaching ministry in the States. And um, God spoke to him very definitely in, in the mid-70s about his ministry, because he was just a, a conventional Dominican friar. That's, he, that's his role, that's what he thought God had called him to. And God started to speak to him about healing. 
And he wrote some amazing books and saw some amazing uh, healings taking place through his ministry. And one of them was the, uh, a very influential book called The Power That Heals. And in this he described how they as a church, and this was all within the Catholic Church at the time, he said they as a church often used to immerse people in prayer, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, sometimes for years. And it didn't happen instantly. He said some of the healings they saw, some of the most remarkable healings they saw, only took place as they as a church committed to pray and to pray and to pray over and over and over again. What happens when people pray? We see the breakthrough and we see the breaking in of God's spirit. We also see sometimes a release from captivity, which sometimes starts in a small way, but other times comes in just like a flood and releases us from whatever situation we're in. And I think the last one we'll look at this morning is I'd like you to turn to Acts 13. Acts 13, just the first, again, first six, first five verses, I'm sorry. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island. What I've just read are five verses that probably changed the whole nature of, of the world at that time and onwards. For separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the work that they've been called for. I wondered where would we be if Paul and Barnabas hadn't responded to that clear directive work of, word of God for them to do something and to do something differently. I'm sure they were very happy. I'm sure they were delighted to be in the fellowship in Antioch. This was a great church. They'd seen a great move of God. It was a fantastic church. They'd seen gifts of God. And then as they're praying and fasting and ministering together, God suddenly said, separate uh, separate apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that they've been called for. And I was quite tantalized by this. I don't know if you read scripture sometimes and think, that's very tantalizing. How did they hear? How did they hear the word of God separate Paul and um, separate from me Paul and Barnabas? And I thought that's very interesting actually. And somehow they set an environment where God could minister and God could speak in a very direct way. And I think there's something we perhaps need to learn as a church about setting the environment where God is free to move, in an, move and speak in an increasing way. I'm not a great gardener. If those of you who know me well will know I'm an I'm absolutely rubbish gardener. I, I was known to, at one stage, I bought some plants mail order and I actually planted them upside down. But... <laughs> So that's my gardening skill, encapsulated in a nutshell. But the one thing I do know is if you have a greenhouse, 
the thing that seems to make plants grow, and I did make the mistake once of trying this, was you put moisture and warmth, and then plants grow. And there's something about us setting the environment for God in which he can move more readily and more freely. We don't work it up, we don't sort of force it, we don't try and force it, but we set the environment where God is free to move. And I guess that's what was happening in this Antioch church. They said, we're going to pray and fast. Maybe they didn't quite know why they were praying and fasting, but they said, we're going to pray and fast and just seek God taking us forward. Maybe I was thinking, maybe somebody had a specific word for them. I have to say a word of caution. We have to be really careful about giving words to people. Um, some friends of ours, um, now I won't tell you about wedding, but, well, uh, yeah, I will now, I've tantalised you, but basically, <laughs> she was a very attractive girl, went to, went to a, com- a Christian conference in Rome, and about halfway through the conference, a, a, a man came up to her and said, I've been praying, and he said, I think the Lord's got you as my wife. And she said, that's very interesting. I'm sure my husband and three children will be very interested <laughs> to learn that. So we do have to be careful about sharing words together. But sometimes it's a word, a word that comes, sometimes it's confirmation from Scripture. For me, often it's just been reading my daily reading and God will confirm something in that reading of that Scripture. The very first company I, I uh, was appointed a managing director of, uh, quite a few years ago now, I was, I was mid-30s at the time, so you know how long ago it is, um, it was in a, a very high area of unemployment, 30% male unemployment, chronic environment and it was a manufacturing company with a few hundred people in it and I felt I really felt God and Dot and I had looked at it and we really felt this was the place where God was taking us so we went and I'd been in the job about a year and it was desperate it was really really tough it was one of the toughest things I'd ever been involved with uh, business was tough the the workforce were, were um, uh, agitating it was uh, the cash was tight. We had the bailiffs in every third week. It was it was it was one of those things you just feel under pressure all the time. And I thought, well, I'd left a secure job. I thought I ought to perhaps maybe I ought to think about going back. You know, it's pressure on dots, pressure on the family. There's a mortgage. There's a house. We have to live and everything else. And so we were we were away on holiday, and. Um, I, I, I read in the morning, actually. I, I read first thing in the morning. That's just my, my habit. And as I was thinking and praying, and it was exactly 12 months after I'd taken the job on that we were on holiday, and I read this. And here is my advice for you. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he said, here is my advice about what's best for you. Last year, you were the first not only to give, now finish the work so that your eagerness to do it may be matched by your completion. Wow. I thought, okay. You go back in obedience, don't you? You hear a word from God. I said to Dot, I think we need to continue. Dot's great. She said, well, if you feel that's from God and it's a word of God, let's go and do it. We went back and God prospered that company in a major recession. It must have been the early 90s, actually. In in a major recession where there was no work around, God prospered it. We brought it back to profitability and it actually had some cash. That was a miracle. But God spoke through his word. And sometimes you might find that as you're reading, there's something vibrant in the word of God. Something just hits you. It hits you between the eyes. You say, this is a call of God for me at this time. And something just impacts you. Paul and Barnabas, just however that impetus came to them, Paul and Barnabas followed that call of God and we are immensely grateful. 
If they hadn't, I don't know where we'd have been with half the New Testament missing, if not two-thirds of it. This week, let me read you something that, that I just saw this week. This was a, a friend of ours who who's, leads a missions organisation in America. He was at a conference uh, with 4,500 church leaders. And um, by the year, by the year of, when Jesus walked on the earth, he said one in, 360, one in every 360 people believed on Jesus. By the year 1,000, one in every 270. By the turn of the 19th century, one in every 21. What's that number today? Just over seven to one. Researchers have identified 632 people groups consisting each of 50,000 individuals that have not yet heard the gospel. But this is the thing that hit me. It was an exciting time to feel God leading us one after the other to where he wants us to go next. You know, there's something about listening to God where he wants us to go next and what he's challenging us to do. And I guess there's people here this morning who sense the impetus of God's calling. God may have called you UK, he may have called you to overseas, he may have called you to children's work, he may have called you to evangelism. You know what the call of God is on your life. And sometimes it's a case of getting up and going in the direction that God has laid on your life. You'll know the impetus that God has spoken to you. If he hasn't yet spoke to you, then we need to pray that God will speak into your experience and give you that call of God. It's a, it's a direct call of God that um, he will just follow through. I'd like to close. In summary, what, what's, what happens when people pray? We can start to experience and start to anticipate an anointing of God in new ways. We are grateful for where we are, but we want more. We just want to see God move more. We can start to experience release from some of those areas that hold us captive. And individually, collectively, there may be things that you just think, this grinds me down. This has really been on my heart. It just grinds me down. I can't cope with it. And we pray into those and start to see God releasing some freedom in those, in those areas that are appropriate to you. And there are people this morning, I guess with A-level A -level, um, results out, although most of the youth are probably away, but with A-level results out, uh, GCSEs next week, people are seeking direction. What do they do with their lives? What's the call of God on them? We need to pray for our young people as well, that God will give them such an anointing and a direction that they will follow the, the lead that God has laid on them. And just finishing, what should we do? If you're not in a prayer group, can I encourage you to join a prayer group? The reason is that I find prayer very difficult. But with a few other people around you, it's so much easier. Four of us men pray together regularly. Can, if you're not in a prayer group, find two or three other people and pray with them. Pray with them regularly. Pray to just seek God's breakthrough. We've seen some great breakthroughs in the little prayer group. I know so many groups are praying around the place, but you're not in one. Please invite two or three other people to pray with you, share with you, seek God's anointing for where we really want to go as a church. You learn to, there's a lovely expression in the message, we learn to follow the rhythms of grace. That's lovely, isn't it? As we pray together and we seek together, we learn to follow the rhythms of grace. Pray with the leadership. Oh, we've got a leadership prayer meeting early September. Not that they're any better, not that they're any wiser, not that they're any more spiritual, we know that. But they've just got a heart to see God touch this area for God. See this whole area born again by the Spirit of God. 
I recognise this morning, and I just have a sense, that there will be needs here. And we're just going to pray briefly into those. Some will need a, a, a sense of release this morning. Some will be just sick and think, God, I just need you to break in, in healing. Some of you will need a sense of direction. Some of you just need a, a new infilling of the Spirit. Church can be tough. Church life can be tough sometimes. And there may be people that you just feel a bit ground down by the, the journey on the road. It can be hard. And we just need that washing of the Spirit to just refresh us in Him this morning. Refresh us in God. Some need new giftings. And what I'm going to do is I'd like to just pray with you uh, just very briefly and then we're going to close. And if you have children, please collect them. As I say, please collect the same ones you brought. And, um, but we're going to pray together. And then if, if, if God's spoken to you about something this morning and you just feel there's a specific need that you would like prayer for, when we finish the service or even during the closing um, hymn as, as um, Henry leads us, just come to the front. Joe's around, Mick's around as part of our prayer leadership team and they will be praying with people. Bill's here, Marilyn's here. They'll be praying with people that God will break in. If you just got a sense this morning, you need God to break in a new way, your experience, what God what you've, has been challenged in your life, just come and get prayer. But let's just pray together first. Father, we just want to thank you that you are such a gracious God. We come to you, Lord, there are needs here this morning that we don't know of. There are circumstances we don't know of. Lord, here this morning, reflected in your congregation this morning, in your people of God this morning, there are need, deep needs, Lord, that only you can deal with. And we pray for an injection of your spirit this morning to touch those areas of need. Where it's healing, Lord, we just pray for your anointing. We pray, God, that you will heal. Lord, where there's a release from captivity and whatever that is, we just pray, Lord, that you will break in and break through. Lord, where there's a need for direction as to where to go next, where there's a release, Lord, from unemployment, where there's a situation, Lord, that just only you can deal with. Where there's a financial strain, Lord, we just lift them up before you and we pray, Sovereign God, move. Sovereign God, please move. Move in power, Lord, in the areas where we are. Where we just need a fresh anointing of you, Lord, to deal with some of the grot of life. Some of those pains of life, Lord, we just want to pray that you will lift us in your spirit. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and Henry just lead us in, in, a, in a, a hymn while we finish. And, um, and as I say, if you need individual prayer, do come up and we'll pray with you.